The Future is Inclusive is produced on Ngunnawal country and we pay our respects to elders past, present and future, especially those who identify as having a disability. What we need to do is start from an understanding of what disability actually is. This is The Future is Inclusive and that is the voice of Federal Green Senator Jordan Steele-John. I'll let him finish that thought very soon, but for now, I'm Cara Matthews and this podcast is your training ground. If you would rather be a help than a hindrance to people with a disability, this podcast will give you a few tools for your ally kit and hopefully answer the awkward questions that might be holding you back from including people with a disability in your life. Alison Proctor is joining me on this learning journey. Hi, Alison. Hi, Cara. So we're here to talk about how to be better allies Mm. for people with disability. Mm. Um, I do identify as a person with a disability, although I've got to say sometimes I don't feel particularly qualified to do that. I'm not sure. (laughs) Uh, How do you feel? Do you feel qualified to be here? So I don't identify as a person with a disability. My, I guess my um, interest in this and my involvement in this kind of world is my sister, my big sister. Uh, Her name's Susie and she has a profound intellectual disability and I'm, I guess, her key uh, guardian and advocate uh, at the moment. And what that means for me on a day-to-day basis is that I'm often someone who is really uh, invested in making sure that allies understand what life is like for Suze. Uh, So clearly, Cara, I'm not qualified to be here, and yet here I am. What did you mean when you don't feel qualified? Well, I think the way we identify is is an interesting thing Mm. Um, and it's complicated. So Mm. I am a person that has depression, anxiety and post-traumatic stress disorder and it has in my life been incredibly debilitating. Mm. But even so, sometimes I don't necessarily feel like I've had enough hardship Mm. in order to identify as a person with a disability. Like I present quite well and I'm quite a confident person naturally. In some ways, I'm in a similar situation to you because I am not by any sort of visually sort of... You don't look at me and go, there's a person with a disability, and I'm not. Um, But that places me in such an interesting situation as kind of walking this line uh, between the vanilla, able-bodied world and the interesting world of of people with disability. I kind of sometimes feel like a secret agent, and I hear these conversations, and it gives me a chance to inject some alternative perspectives into conversations that might not otherwise happen. And so for me, uh, that's how I kind of navigate this path as an ally. So that clip that we just heard was Senator Jordan Steele-John. So he is uh, apparently one of the youngest senators that's ever been in Parliament House, but he's also the first wheelchair user to hold a Senate seat. His arrival at Parliament House is like, um, I think, a metaphor for access to democracy being played out in this kind of really physical way with his actual access to the actual physical building of Parliament House, right? So here's another um, clip from him where he talks about his parliamentary office. Take the room we're sitting in. This is a product of us coming along and then realising that there wasn't an office in this building that was suitable for someone who used a wheelchair. Um, So we had to wait six months while they designed an accessible office. Not only is this accessible for disabled constituents, but as I've been rather jealously informed by many of my colleagues, it's the nicest and most functional office in the building that isn't a ministerial office because it's open, it flows, it's good design. 
Um, and that that's the thing about a universal design and access or universal design in learning. It's just good practice. It means whatever you got to say or whatever you got to be, the most possible people can be there with you. And that's a good thing. So I find it interesting that of all buildings, Parliament House is not accessible. You'd think that that would be an accessible building, right? You'd think so. I guess one of the cool things about access is that our understanding of it, it's kind of growing and changing, right? So what we thought was accessible 10 years ago, we're only now really understanding how to make it accessible and inclusive. I really like the way that it reminds us that access, we shouldn't think that we've got to a point where we've got access nailed, right? It's something where our understanding of it evolves over time and we can respond to that. And so I see Parliament House as responding to our new understanding that access is not just about sliding doors or or lifts. It's also about desks and chairs and doorways. And I really look forward to a future where we understand access in even more broad terms than that. It's interesting. One of the things that in my work I would like for us to be able to strive for is often when I ask people whether it's an accessible building they'll go yes it's absolutely accessible and I'll get there then the audience is accessible but the stage isn't ah right and no one will ever think that perhaps people with disabilities would also be up on the stage and God be the people pres- I know right <laughs> um, so that is something that I have found to be very interesting in terms of what people think access is do you know any good Canberrans who can tell us about access I do, actually. I recently had a chat with two who are doing amazing work in the fight for better access. Sue Salthouse is from Women with Disabilities ACT and Robert Altmore is from People with Disabilities ACT. We started talking about everyday access that you and I might take for granted. Mm. Access for me means being able to get in and out of things unimpeded. So if we think about going along the street, I need cutaways. And I need cutaways that aren't too steep. And I need cutaways that are in my direct line of travel. You wouldn't believe how many times the cutaways round the corner and uh, round three corners and and up the street, whereas everybody who can manage the curbs can go straight across. But on the whole, cutaways and ramps mean good access for me. Whilst you might think that people get more and more efficient at their wheelchair use, I think in a way I've got less and less brave about my wheelchair use. When I was a young wheelchair user, I could get up on my back wheels and jump a curb and go across gravel. But now I just think about falling out of the wheelchair and the chalky state of my bones and I stopped doing those daring things. So no escalators for me anymore. Cutaways are also very important to me as a blind person as they indicate both the point of crossing. But what is also important about a cutaway for me as a blind person is that it be lined up in the direction you have to cross and be lined up in such a way as to keep you safe. When you think about cities, when you see lots of people with disabilities around in a city, it's usually because when you look at the public transport then, you can see that the public transport's really accessible. If it's not easy to get there or to be included when you get there, then people with disabilities won't go and can't go. And therefore then the non-disabled attendees think, 
that we're not interested, but in fact, we'd really like to be there. And it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. Many events they organise, they say, we're going to have an event which, to which we're going to invite people with disabilities. They might hold the event in there where there's no transport or a building that's not accessible, and then they find no people with disabilities come. They say, oh, we won't make those arrangements next time. Some people are not used to people with disabilities being out and about in the community. It's exciting to hear people speak so passionately about cutaways. Can you tell us what's a cutaway? Cutaways are the ramps that are on curbs when you're at lights. Oh, yes. Yeah. Um, and they often have textured, there's little round textured bits, the bumpy yeah. bits on yeah. them. Not the bumpy butts. Bumpy. The bumpy bits. Bumpy, I like bumpy butts. Bumpy butts. I guess uh, they do make you bump, bump when you're in a wheelchair and you're going over them. Maybe? The... <laughs> <laughs> Hearing Sue and Robert talk about access and the importance of physical spaces in creating accessible environments, uh, it makes me reflect on uh, the experience for my sister, my sister Susie Proctor, who we'll hear from more later on. She and I are working together to make sure that she has all that physical stuff available, like a portable ramp, an accessible car, so she can get all the places that she needs to go. But what is really interesting for Suze is that um, access for her is also uh, a proactive, uh, inclusive step of being socially inclusive. So actually making the effort to reach out to Suze to invite her to things. Um, she's got all the physical infrastructure to get there. But if you're not invited to the party, then then that kind of makes it all a little bit redundant. I have a very similar experience, especially for things like festivals and big events like the Multicultural Festival and things like that, um, where it's partially about the physical, where I need a space where there is not going to be so many people because otherwise I just I can't cope. And also then the social aspect of it with people not kind of being judgmental or weirded out by the fact that I'm actually freaking out in this in this crowd and kind of allowing space for me to get through and, and things like that, which I know might sound selfish, like I need you to let me through, but I really need it or I will absolutely have a panic attack. It is kind of hard to understand whose responsibility it is for these kinds of things. Mm. And so what what can we do? You know, like I, I really want to be an ally. What is it that we can each do to kind of make accessibility happen? Well, it's really interesting because that actually takes us back to the point that Senator Steele John made at the top of the episode. Um, should we let him finish the thought? Oh, if we must. The new understanding we need to come to is that disability is in fact a social construct, which is to say that while I might well have a brain injury and that the, one of the results of that is that I... Uh, you know, can't walk, walk and do some other things. I'm uh, disabled by the interaction between those differences or impairments and the barriers created and sustained in society by ableism and our uh, lack of thought for people of different levels of ability. Okay, so who should be responsible? Um, let's hear from Sue and Robert again. I think... Everybody. <laughs> but one of the things that I think about our world is that self-regulation really doesn't work. And so there needs to be some regulations which people have to follow. And that's where we have access to premises standards um, and building codes and things like that. But then 
everybody has a little bit of responsibility to look at how the world works around them, I think. As people with disabilities, I think we have a responsibility to still keep asking and keep reminding the non-disabled world what changes will make a world more accessible and environment work better for us. I think as well in taking on that responsibility, people need to be aware and cater for the fact that sometimes those reasonable adjustments cost money. All organisations, whether disability-related or not, could be aware that to make an event inclusive, there's going to be a cost sometimes. Absolutely, and that comes into making it a, a forethought rather than an afterthought. To me, some of the best aspects of access are when people have thought through the issues such as Braille and provided it. But to get back to responsibility, there are two levels of responsibilities, I think. The society needs to step up and be responsible for the accessibility of our general environment. People with disabilities like me will only gain respect that we need and deserve and will only be uh, able to fully participate in society if we're physically visible in society. And for us to be physically visible in society, society's got to have an environment which allows us to be physically present. When we're not physically visible, when we're shut away behind the doors because it's not safe to get out or because people think we shouldn't be out, um, that's when society's not accessible. And that's where we get institutionalisation and even worse things, abuse and neglect. Oh, there is so much in all of the things that those guys are saying, right? As an ally, one of the most important realisations for me has been that this debate and this whose responsibility is, it's not about people with disability standing over there knocking at the door saying, let us in, let us in, and able-bodied people going, all right then, we'll make that extra budget line available, we'll make the payments available, we'll make things accessible for you. What it is is about everybody realising that our communities are better when we're inclusive, when they're diverse. Uh, I think that communities just are a better thing in general when everyone is a part of it. So we've got to get away from this idea that it's about able-bodied people letting people with disability be included and making access happen because it's so much more than that. It's about cherishing and appreciating diverse communities and thinking about what is it that I can do to bring diversity into my life more often? What is it that when I look around this room that I'm sitting in right now, who's missing from this room? How can I make sure those people are in this room? And that's when it's not only better for the people that come in, but it's better for everyone. And there are actually so many studies done about workforces that have diverse representation in their team and how much more productive and efficient and how much more creative the solutions are that come out of that team. And there is also a rise in that the team members report being less comfortable all the time, Mm. but that they yield much better results and the relationships that they build are much better. Ah, so if you want like a comfortable beige life, then go ahead and and, and shut out the opportunity for diversity. But if you want a challenging uh, and richer life, welcome um, an inclusivity to it. Absolutely. Totally. So some examples of how you might be able to make sure that there's a diverse range of people in the room. I mean, the RSVP, that's a really great example of how to make sure everyone can get there. Actually, Sue's got a great idea about that. Let's hear it. When we want to make events inclusive, 
I think that Just Ask policy belongs with the RSVP and that I really want the RSVP to say, please tell us your access requirements when you register for this event. That's an easy way to just ask. So, Cara, Rebus, your theatre company, uh, you guys are pretty into organising events. What do you do um, about the RSVP? So we are constantly updating how we work with access, and I think that's a really important part of it. We have in the past sent emails saying, please let us know your accessibility requirements. We're now working on integrating that with the Eventbrite system so that we can actually ask for it in the Eventbrite RSVP, which is not currently an option. One of the things that I really love about Rebus and the way we work is that we are constantly assuming that we don't know everything and we're constantly asking questions and we don't always get it right but we're constantly working to try and make it better and I think it's really important to have that malleable idea of what access is. This is The Future is Inclusive. I'm Cara Matthews. I'm Alison Proctor. Another thing I spoke to Sue and Robert about was their wow moments. You know, what it's like to go into an event or rock up somewhere and go like, wow, this really worked for me. When I go somewhere and I find that there's a walking trail or a boardwalk that goes for miles and that takes me to interesting places... That means that when I'm travelling or when I'm doing something, that I can have a good stroll. Um, And I guess in Canberra, when there's somewhere where I can get out in the bush and it's accessible, that's a wow moment for me. My wow moment um, is I was being employed uh, by a government uh, institution and I, I told them, I disclosed that I had anxiety and PTSD. And I didn't really say what I needed, though there wasn't really room in the boxes for that. But they called me up and they said, you disclose this to us, what can we do to make the workplace more accessible for you? Which was wonderful because often when you go in and talk to someone, they just go, oh, you just need a quiet room or we'll give you time off or here's our leave plan for you, Um, which is actually for me the worst thing. So what they did was call up and say, what do you want? And I just said, what I need is a desk that faces a door so that I've got my back to a wall. That's what I need. And they were like, sweet. And they rearranged the office and that was it. And that was a real wow moment for me. That being asked is, is it's empowering for me to be asked what I need. And it made everything so much easier because I walked into an accessible workplace. Well, I get audio description because... Um when you do go and see a movie with your wife and you get audio description, that's a real wow moment. Mm. It's better than the chop top. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So do you have any wow moments, Alison? Oh, so many wow moments, Cara. I had um, a wonderful wow moment just last week. I was, um, I have to admit, I was whinging to a colleague uh, about um, some hard work that I feel I am doing uh, alongside my sister to prepare uh, for her NDIS plan review absolute um, privilege to be in the NDIS system, remarkable resources that Susie is getting. It's really amazing, but it is a lot of hard work uh, as we prepare this kind of annual plan review process. So I was whinging to a workmate about 
that process, feeling uh, that it was very administrative. And my workmate nodded and said, yeah, that sounds really tough. Thanks. Thanks for sharing. And then she turned back to her computer and kept working. And I turned back to my computer and I kept working. And I thought, she didn't wait. She didn't try and solve anything for me. She just listened. That was amazing. That was so great. Uh, we have this kind of desire to want to try and fix people's things all the time, but sometimes it's really great just to share when things are a bit tricky and to have someone listen. Alison Proctor, thank you for being with me on this winding road to accessibility. Thank you, Cara. And quick pop quiz, who is responsible for universal access? I think everybody. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Sue. And uh, what is disability? Disability is in fact a social construct. So calling all allies, we've been talking today about access and your challenge for the next week is to look around the room, who is there with you and what can you do to make sure there is a wider and more diverse range of people in the room with you. So I've added access to my ally toolkit. What's next? Well, Cara, let's move from Jordan Steele John's uh, charming English accent to a fantastic Scottish accent. We live in a world that is far from perfect, it seems to me, in a whole number of ways, just one of which is its ability to exclude people for no discernible reason. I think we have to find ways of working out what's wrong with this world so that we can refashion it in a way that's going to make it right for more people. So that's next time. And if you want more people to join you on this journey, please tell them about this podcast. Rate and review us on your preferred podcast platform and give us a shout out on social media. If you want to get in touch, you can email thefutureisinclusivepodcast at gmail.com. This podcast is funded by the ACT Office for Disability. I'm Cara Matthews. Thanks this week to my co-pilot, Alison Proctor, to Senator Jordan Steele-John, Sue Salthouse from Women with Disabilities ACT, Robert Altmore from People with Disabilities ACT, and to our producer, Kim Lester. <laughs>